This week we started the Lenten season, and my guess is at some point in your life you have practiced or actually part, I mean, uh, considered taking part in Lent. And you probably decided that for Lent you're going to give up chocolates or sodas or a social media Maybe Netflix, because we're really not sure we can go all the way with YouTube, right? Like, let's just be honest. Like, we'll give up most of the way. You've probably considered that maybe I should try to work out every day uh, for Lent, or maybe I'm going to read my Bible every single day. Lent kind of gives us a second chance at New Year's resolutions, doesn't it? Like, yeah, we screwed that one up, but we're going to go at it again, and we're just going to do it for 40 days, not a year this time, and we're just going to see what happens. Uh, but as I shared an email with you this week, Lent is more than just a time to, I'm just going to give something up for fun. It's a time to examine ourselves. What is distracting me and disrupting my relationship with God? Lent is a choice to give up something for the sake of your relationship with God. It is a physical choice with a spiritual purpose. And so This week, as we sat in, should I give something up for Lent? If so, what should I give up? We're really asking the question, how am I living, and am I living as I should? And to finalize our series that this early spring on questions that need answers, I really want to ask that question this morning. How should a Christian live? What's expected of us? So I know I am saved. I know I can't lose my salvation. I know how I know I'm saved, because that all made sense just then. But now, how am I supposed to live? And is my life congruent with that of a Christian? So we, we ask those questions, and we have immediately pop in our head those Christian or maybe uh, Bible Belt church ethics, right? Don't drink. And then we struggle when Jesus is at the wedding and he makes like really good wine. Okay, so this is hard. And then we have don't smoke, right? Like, And from a health standpoint, I'm all for that, but I don't know where that is in the Bible. And it's hard for me because I know you're going to want to say, well, your body's a temple. I agree with that. But you can't tell me that as you're downing your second double cheeseburger of the week. All right? So uh, we've got these things, and we just kind of go off into societal vices rather than Christian ethics. We have some other probably good ones. Don't cuss, but really Paul's going to say our language should be encouraging and edifying, not just avoiding certain four-letter words. We, we probably have known don't have sex outside of marriage, and then we try to figure out where that line goes. We, we know that we should probably go to church, and that's a good thing. We should probably give our tithe. That's a great thing as a church pastor that depends on your tithe. Um, we should probably be a pretty good person. But really what we start laying out is what society calls a good citizen, and we begin to call that a good Christian. And I think there is something more. Heck, with the church we got married at, there's a rule, right, Carlin, that you, there's no dancing. Because I guess that's an invitation for the uh, spirit of the Satan to sneak in, right? <laughs> so don't worry, we broke that rule uh, for 20 seconds. I think was about the max I was willing to publicly dance. Uh, and so we got 10 seconds with Carlin, 10 seconds with my mom. We danced, it was done, we moved on. But is there something bigger to being a Christian than just avoiding a certain few things? 
Is there something more than just showing up once a week, writing a check, and then being nice to people when we're at the grocery store? Is being a Christian something bigger? I think we've both oversimplified the Christian life and obscured it. We've tried to add rules where we don't like what the outcome of those things, and then we take away rules when we want to practice these things. And we've kind of confused. In a sense, learning how to live as a Christian is more difficult than knowing all the unwritten rules of A&M's campus. And Riley's not here right now, but he cannot figure out that century tree thing, right? Like, <laughs> poor boy just, I mean, I bet you he walks on the seal too, all right? <laughs> Pretty sure. So, uh, and you can tell him I said that. I'm not just picking on him. If he was here, it was all written out for him, all right? Uh, I, I think we've overcomplicated this Christian life into all of these things. So our text this morning is 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. Here's one that you underline. Uh, 1 Peter is going to be after Hebrews, after James. If you get to John's little epistles, 1, 2, and 3, then you've gone too far. If you get to Revelation, start going back the other way as well. 1 Peter, Paul, Peter is writing, not Paul, Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are being persecuted, who know the cost of following Jesus because people around them are being beaten, imprisoned, and killed because they have uh, said that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. So Peter writes, and you would think he would just write and encourage them and say, guys, I'm really proud of you, great job, keep it up. But he actually writes some hard stuff, and this may be the most difficult. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter is picking up on this idea that we talked about last week, that changed lives live changed lives. See, Peter is saying, do not be conformed to the passions of your old ways. Don't continue to pursue sin as you did as a sinner. This is not how Christians are called to live. Avoid those vices of Galatians 5 that we talked about last week. You know, He's saying, hey, don't sleep around, don't drink all day, don't argue, slander, hate, hit, or whatever you're prone to do. Stop doing those things. But he doesn't leave us in what to avoid. He then tells us how to act. He says this, and I think it actually, before he, I'm going to read that, I think it actually aligns with Jesus really well. Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. I think Peter succinctly writes it here as well. He says, be holy in all of your conduct. Be holy in everything that you do. Paul will say, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Be holy, to love God and love your neighbor. All these things are kind of following the same logic. But what in the world does holy mean? Holy in its most basic form is mean dedicated to God, sacred. Set apart is a term you often get um, growing up. Set apart for a purpose is what I want to add to that. To be holy is to be perfect, perfect in goodness and in righteousness. That you are living in a way that does not violate the uh, rights of others or the commands of God. God is holy, 
He is better, he is higher, he is greater than us. He is set apart. And he, being holy, is unable to be around anything that is not holy. And I'm going to go nerdy for about 30 seconds on you, and then I'll come right back out. So Cameron, get excited. Everybody else, just stay with me. So the things within the temple have to be holy. The tabernacle have to be holy. So it's not that they are cast in a special type of gold. All right, It's not like A-U uh, asterisk, like this is the holy gold and this is the other gold. No, no, no. It's just gold. But the difference is it's purpose. Uh, a seminary professor taught it to me this way. He said, you can be baking in an oven 12 loaves of bread. And in that oven, six of those loaves is going to be set in the tabernacle to be the showbread in the tabernacle. The other six are going to be eaten by the priests and enjoyed and fill their bellies. He said, the six that are for the tabernacle are holy. Why? Because they have a purpose, a holy purpose, set apart for a purpose. The others, and this is where we struggle, we think that the opposite of holy is unholy. It's not. The opposite of holy is common. We can be common good, or common bad, common clean or common unclean. All right, we're five seconds left. The showbread in that oven is holy to God. It has a purpose in worship. The other loaves are just common clean. That's good. Here is why that matters. We as a church have told you for so long to be common clean, to not be unholy. But what we have never called you to is to be this common clean, to do these good works and to avoid the bad works on purpose for the sake of God, for His glory and for your neighbor. We get really focused in what we avoid and never call you to what Peter is calling us to, to be holy. We just call you to be good. And there's a difference. Okay, so we're going to get back into where it's a little easier. But hopefully that helps you way more than just in this time. So, holiness. It's hard, all right? I'm not going to deny that. It's real hard. You're fighting your natural, your worldly, your selfish tendencies. But holiness matters because God cannot even just be around something common. He must and demands holiness around him at all times. And here's where the paradox exists. Holiness is expected. You should be holy as I am holy. And yet it is impossible. Insert Jesus, right? who says, even while you are sinners, even while you are enemies, even in your wandering, even in your rejecting, even in your abandoning, even in your fleeing, I will step in and cleanse you and be your righteousness and your goodness. I will be the substitute for you. I will be your holiness where you are lacking. So, how are you called to live? You're called to live holy. But I think that really begs another question. Is holy living limited living? Like, this is a question I have written on my desk because I'm really struggling and wrestling through it right now. Is holy living, by living as God entitles or calls us to, is this limiting my life? Is it saying that I no longer can have desires or passions, wishes, and wants? That I no longer can do the things neither I enjoy nor are sinful? Like, we understand that we shouldn't be saying yes to the sinful things, though we long for it. But, but can I ever have the things I want? Is holy living going to rob me of everything that I ever desire? We understand, I think, that following Christ is challenging. It's gonna, holiness is going to cause us to stop maybe partying or change our language or read our Bible or uh, 
fight against our anger, slander, lust, and laziness. But some of you may not realize you've asked the same question before. Is holy living living, limited living? Here's how I think maybe you see if you've asked. Have you ever been jealous of the story of the person who dies on their deathbed, but they accepted Christ just before? And you go, they got all the salvation without any of the obligation. Have you ever wished you had the story of that cool youth speaker with spiky hair who talked about how he went so hard partying his first three years of college and then his life was radically transformed by Christ and now he's lived every single day and he's met his smoking hot wife and he has all, right? Like, have you ever gone, man, I wish I'd have had the first three years and that story? Because at the end of it, we want the salvation, but we struggle with the obligation. We want salvation and sin so many times. And we're afraid if we say we live a holy life that it really is limited. I heard last week, I was talking with a college pastor in town. He said, yeah, we do these things on Friday nights. And then he added this line, and it hurt me. He said, because nobody wants to hang out with Christians on Friday nights. But as I read my Bible, that doesn't seem like the Jesus that I read about. The Jesus I read about wasn't pushed away from being invited to uh, functions because he was such a stick in the mud. No, Jesus was brought into weddings and parties, feasts and hangouts. He was actually invited by known sinners of the day because they were intrigued by him and they wanted to get to know him more. And yet, we have laid out this Christian life into this dull, lame, boring, uninteresting option. I think there's something better. I think there's something more. The holy life that we are meant to live, I really believe, is a life of abundance. Rather than spending all of our time figuring out rules and regulations that we can limit ourselves, I think if we look at Jesus, we see true friendship, deep connectivity. We see him loving those around him, being accepted and invited, being uh, encouraged. Uh, We see him with a deep connectivity to God. We don't see his life lacking in any way. If we had done his three years, I think he would be exhausted by all the life he lived. But here is where we struggle. We struggle to believe that a life lived as the Creator calls us to is better than a life pursuing all the things created. Let me say it this way. A life that seeks fulfillment in the created rather than the Creator will leave us empty. If you put your hope in your job, in your spouse, in your bank account, in where you vacation, in your status in society, in the letters after your name, if you put all of your hopes in those things, you're only going to be left disappointed. Because, students, the things of this world cannot satisfy and will not satisfy the cravings of your soul. The things of this world will not satisfy the cravings of your soul. Only the one who created you can do that. We talked last semester about a diet of Oreos. It starts off really well. You're enjoying it for about one meal. And then it leaves you hungry and lacking in all vitamins and desperate for something real. Holy living is limiting. Okay, Don't hear that. Incorrectly. Holy living is limiting, but it is not a limited life. 
Jesus will say in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Peter will say that the devil strolls around, prowls around like a roaring lion. But Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I don't think he's just talking about in the afterlife. I think he's talking about now. Because if I live holy, I'm a more loving husband. I'm a more caring father. I'm a better friend, a harder worker. I'm learning and I know how to have rest in God who created me and following his plan. I don't fret over my own identity. I don't try to prove my worth. I don't have to earn my love. In a lot of ways, if I am living holy, I am living the best life that all of us want. It's the life that we give up stuff in New Year's and at Lent so that we can have because we think that those things are robbing us from a fullest life. And if we live in this holy manner, then we will be taking steps towards a life we all desire and long for. Holy living leads to an abundant life, not a limited life. So I'm going to end with this. I've circled around it for the last few weeks. It's been a line that really hit me last February, and I've just tried to keep it in my mind because it helps me. But we must, as followers of Christ, take radical steps for the sake of holiness. I know I talked about it last week. We're going to get practical as we end up this morning. Because holiness matters, and holiness is hard. Holiness is expected, and holiness is impossible. So this morning, and if you're writing notes, I want you to write this and underline it and think about it this week. What in your life does not align with holiness? What is not congruent with Christianity? And then I want you to start thinking through, what are those radical steps? And I use radical on purpose because I'm so sick and tired of us taking small steps. Oh, maybe if I just kind of do this, it'll work. I'm so tired of us taking pretend steps. Oh yeah, I'm just going to start reading my Bible. I'm not going to change anything else. I'm not going to like try to wake up to do it. I'm just going to it's just going to happen because I want it now, right? I'm tired of us taking steps that we hope will work. That don't cost us anything and that we hope will change everything. 31 years old, I know that life. Oh yeah, I just want it. If I want it badly enough, it'll happen. No, I think we've got to take radical steps. Radical steps are steps that only make sense because God is God, because Jesus lived, died, and rose, and that there is a spirit dwelling within me that is powerful to overcome everything. Those are radical steps. So I'm going to ask you, I think I have four categories. You can always expand this out. What do you need to radically eliminate from your life? Like, what needs to be gone from your life? Is it social media? Maybe not all of it. Is it a particular flavor of it? That you're spending entirely too much time and it's a complete distraction. Is it an unhealthy habit that you have, that you've had for years? Is it a pressure to be someone or to prove something? What is something you need to eliminate? Is it an aspiration that doesn't align with God's desires? I've yet to find in the Bible where it says you have to make a 4.0. But I talk to so many of you that feel that. Doesn't ever give us room for laziness, okay? The Bible doesn't call us to that. 
It says do our best. <coughs> what do you need to eliminate? Is it pride? You, you've called it confidence. Your friends call it arrogance. Is it an addiction? Is it a certain substance that you've become dependent upon? Is it even maybe just clothing that you so depend on it to show you worth and value? You need to radically eliminate these things from your life that are causing you problems. What does that look like? Radical elimination is deleting accounts, flushing pills, asking for help to overcome addictions. It's stepping into accountability for your pride or for your lust. It's giving away what you're dependent upon. Radical steps is saying, what is causing me to sin? And I'm getting rid of it. I'm done with it. I'm not giving it a space in my life anymore. Will it be hard? Absolutely. Will it cause you problems? Sure. There will be withdrawals, whether it is a substance or not. There's going to be withdrawals from these things that you've depended on. But are you willing to take radical steps? For a lot of you guys, this is the biggest temptation for you. Some in purity and others just in time and laziness. Every single Sunday morning when that pops up my weekly screen time, it is a reminder of how much time I spend wasted in so many ways on group me. And, uh, no. <laughs> He's not here to pick on him right now. Uh, but... but if I'm not willing to take radical steps to delete apps that are pulling me away from God, that are taking me into unholiness, not just commonness, then am I really willing to follow God and make him Lord of my life? Last summer, I had a really unhealthy relationship with Twitter in a lot, Twitter in a lot of ways. I'd had the account for 10 years, and it just came to a point I said, i got to delete it. I lost all of it. And was there temptation to jump back in? Sure. I wanted to keep up with all Alabama sports because there's so much happening in the football world in June. But I just felt this desire. I'm missing out. But, uh, you know, I just had to get rid of it, to take a radical step because it needed it in my life. Uh, I don't know what you need to radically eliminate. You do. I'll run through the next few really quickly because I want you all to get to class. Radical addition. What do you need to choose to do? For some of you, it's as simple as setting an alarm because your laziness is real. For others of you, it is choosing to read or pray because you can't remember the last time you did. There, there's some of you that need to add in this time with God. For us, I remember in our best seasons with when Carl and I were married, we really loved being hospitable, having people in the house. And so we had this expectation that twice a week somebody would be in our house and we would just get to be around them and be with them. We, maybe you need to add an expectation to yourself to live up to because you know who you are and who God has made you to be, and yet you're failing to do those sort of things. You need to look at your life and go, what's missing? What is a Christian life have, and what do I not do as a result? Where do I not align? And you need to start adding time with God, time in prayer, reading your Bible. Maybe it's time in a small group because you know that community matters, and yet you have made excuses all year about it. Time alone, time to ponder, listen, to sit. What, radicals, what radical additions must you make? And remember, for every addition you make, you're probably going to have to eliminate something. You can't do it all. The third one, and I'm going to be really quick on these two. What radical generosity? How are you hoarding your time, your talents, and your treasure? Where are you not willing to share it? 
radical steps for the sake of holiness look like, yeah, I'm going to go to Saddlewood when, yeah, I could be studying right now. But I'm going to go and spend my life in that place for those for their good. Radical uh, steps with your generosity is maybe saying, yeah, I'm an introvert. And I don't really like, you know, having to do this, but I'm going to spend my lunches doing evangelism stuff and just talking to people and going, hey, how's your life going? You know, what do you believe spiritually? Maybe you don't make tons of money, but you've been hoarding your bank account because you like a good cushion. Me too. But do you need to be sharing that with somebody that is trying to go to D.C. trip? And could you be funding their trip even though you can't go? There's radical generosity I'm calling you to. We did a gift need thing one time on a Wednesday night in our college ministry. And you wrote down, I have this gift. And so mathletes said, I can tutor math, you know. And other people said, oh, I have all this money, but I don't have a lot of time. And so then you match them up with people that had needs. Hey, I need help in math. So then, hey, meet Mathlete. There you go. Maybe you need, hey, I want to go on this trip. I think this could be great for me, but I don't have the funds. Okay, and that's how it worked. What are gifts that you have that you need to be generous with that you're hoarding right now? Final is, what radical adjustment to your schedule is necessary? I've already kind of touched on this, but I think a lot of us need to look at it, analyze, and go, okay. Am I actually living in a holy way with my schedule? Are you practicing Sabbath? We talked about it last spring. If you weren't here with us or missed it out, you should probably go check it out. It's a, it is a call to holy living as God set us up to. And I'm not practicing it 100% fully like I need to be, but I know inside that I need to be doing that. Whole, uh, Sabbath was stopping, for the, stopping work for the sake of rest, restoration, and reflection. And why do we Sabbath? We rest from our work so we can work from our rest. All right. I need to end. Last one. What radical ways must you change some relationships? You know the relationship that you have that's unholy. You know the relationship that you have that is not honoring God. Are you willing to take radical steps? For some of you, that means ending it. For others of you, it means radically shifting it because where it stands right now is leading down a really terrible road. I'll tell you this and then I'll send you out. We had a friend here. He was 30 years old. He was dating a girl, and then they got engaged. He had a rule, a radical rule. At 8 p.m., we have to go home. At 8 p.m., and you're going, wait, what? At 8 p.m., we have to go separate ways. Why? Because for the sake of holiness, he was not going to risk it. He was very attracted to his fiancée, and he knew that he would be tempted to, towards unholiness if he was not careful. And so he made a radical rule. You may go a stupid rule, a crazy rule, a weak rule. I go a smart rule for him because he cared more than pursuing his fleshly desires. He cared more about holiness. Will you take radical steps for the sake of holiness? You are called to be holy as God is holy in all of your conduct. Let me pray.